0: This is Pastor Stuart Schneider welcoming you to a service of worship at Community Presbyterian Church in Belfont, Kentucky. Come, let us worship the Lord together. Let us pray. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, Graft in our hearts the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with all goodness, and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Our first reading is from the book of Exodus, the third chapter, the first 15 verses Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. Listen for the word of the Lord in this reading. Our second reading is from Matthew, the 16th chapter, 21 through 28. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. (laughs) Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world, but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Listen for the word of God in this reading. Yes. The trajectory of Moses' life was absurd by any measure. His first three months of life were spent in an and Frank sort of existence as his mother concealed his very existence. Because Pharaoh had decreed that all male Hebrew children should be killed at birth. Mom hid him as long as she could. Then, thinking shrewdly, just like every mother does, she put him in a basket, a little ark, and daubed it with pitch so it was waterproof, placed it in the bulrushes, and put her daughter in a position where she could watch what might happen. When Moses' little ark was found by Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, she said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. Now that's a remarkable thing for her to say, because that means she knows that it is her duty to drown the baby. But she doesn't do that. What's a Hebrew child to her? She's Pharaoh's daughter. She's royalty. And this baby is anything but royalty. By any reasoning, we would expect her to follow her father's decree and wave the child to a watery grave. Absurdly, she doesn't. And instead, adopts the child as her own. Now, I wonder how that played out at home. Pharaoh comes home from a hard day oppressing the people and says, hey, who's this extra kid? Pharaoh's daughter coyly replies, that's my son, daddy. Pharaoh roars back at her, and how did that happen? And she says, it was a miracle. It was hugely unlikely that this charade with a Hebrew boy could ever play out successfully until the child was grown. And I would suggest to you that it's very unreasonable unreasonableness is meant to catch our attention because the story of Moses is one unreasonable thing after another. As a member of Pharaoh's household, Moses was living the good life. No worries, mate. But when he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew... He intervened and he killed the, Obje- the Egyptian. Now who does that if you're a member of the royal household? It's absurd. Then he has to flee Egypt to escape punishment and wound up shepherding sheep in the wilderness. From a member of Pharaoh's household to a shepherd trying to manage some of the dumbest creatures on God's green earth is quite a fault. Why would he do such an absurd thing? Tertullian was a third century church father and he's often quoted as having said, credo quia absurdum, which can be translated, I believe, because it's absurd. Tertullian's point is that absurd, unexpected events may be just the events to which we are to give heed simply because they are so unlikely. Credo quia absurdum. I'm paying attention because it's absurd, and because I pay attention, I am able to recognize a miracle when it happens. God makes his presence known in absurd, surprising, and hugely unlikely events, but it is our responsibility to pay attention just as Moses did. I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up, Moses said. When something absurd happens, we're to stop what we're doing and pay attention to it. Of course, sometimes random, meaningless events happen and we'd be pretty foolish to imply meaning which wasn't there. That's why we are to do just what Moses did. Turn aside and see why. That's extraordinarily difficult for us, really, and you know it as well as I, because we live so much of our life in the future rather than in the present. I have to be in work at work in ten minutes. My dentist appointment is in less than an hour, and I can't find a parking place. We're all the time out there someplace instead of here. And yet right here is where reality is happens, absurd and beautiful. We can't see it because we're looking out there. On one of the subway stops in New York system, a man was playing the violin, as often happens. He played about 45 minutes and he covered six intricate pieces by Bach from memory. Most people walked right by. Some tossed a buck or some change into his hat. Nobody, except for a three-year-old boy, paid him the slightest bit of attention because they were they were too wrapped up in their own future to notice what was happening in the present. The man earned $32 for his efforts. The violin he was playing on was by Stradivari. It was worth $3.5 million dollars. And the fiddle player was Joshua Bell. Nobody had time for a performance for free in the subway, which some of them later in the week will pay a hundred dollars a head to hear. It's no surprise that God had to set fire to a bush to get Moses's attention. Sometimes, sometimes He must even be be even more dramatic, drowning a whole city. It's what happens after God arranges something. Sufficiently absurd to gain our attention that determines whether or not we choose to walk with God. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Take off your shoes, Moses for I want your full attention right down to the pebbles beneath your feet, but come no closer, for I am God, unsaid but implied, and you are not. That's the proper response to absurd events, and we have had two such events this month. In Charlottesville, two groups imagined that they were empowered to carry out God's justice, resulting in the death of an innocent young woman. In Houston, strangers put their lives in peril to rescue thousands of strangers. Absurd coincidence, don't you think? We should pay attention. Most of the people of Charlottesville came to express their heartfelt opposition to or approval of the removal of a statue of General Lee. Those people don't concern us at all today. Our interest is in the other groups, which had little to do with General Lee or his statue. One group, flying the swastika was chanting, Jews will not replace us. The KKK was there in white robes displaying an obscene caricature of the cross of Christ. What any of that had to do with Robert E. Lee is anyone's guess. Also present were groups broadly calling themselves Antifa or anti-fascists, who equally had no readily discernible connection with Robert E. Lee. Both the Nazis and the anti-Nazis were armed and had come for the express purpose of prevailing over their enemies by force. This was not absurd. This was appalling. This was human sinfulness on full display as each group ignored the command to Moses to come no closer and sought to claim God's righteousness as its own. We saw in real time how readily we mortals are to find our rectitude in the sins of our brothers and sisters. How easily we forget that darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot draw, drive out hate. Only love can do that. And then it began to rain and rain and rain until we had a 500-year calamity, an absurd amount of rain from a storm which, unlike most storms, just sat over Texas, pouring out grief and mourning upon the people. In contrast to what we saw at Charlottesville, what did we see as Houston, that great city, drowned? We saw the People's Armada and the Cajun Navy paddling into the storm to rescue strangers. We saw people opening their homes to shelter those with no refuge. Suddenly, race and creed and color and politics were reduced to the insignificance they deserve in the face of such human need. Differences in political preference or skin color, which had so recently fueled the violent outbursts that cost a young woman's life in Charlottesville, now seemed insignificant, though the cost of showing love to those in need was huge. In the rush to rescue those in peril, two volunteers died and five others were swept away when their boat hit a power line. The storm water in the streets through which Volunteers and first responders waited to evacuate nursing homes where helpless seniors, I know you saw this picture, helpless seniors sat in their wheelchairs in waist-deep sewage, contaminated with deadly heavy metals, fecal bacteria, and who knows what else. We will not know the total cost in human misery for those who will be sickened because of the water for some time to come. Perhaps it's absurd to think that the tragedy in Texas happened to give us an opportunity to repent the anger and violence at Charlottesville. Yet the proximity of these two events, properly viewed, grants us a perspective we did not enjoy before. Praise God for his gift of perspective. Amen. Please join with me, standing as you are able. Uh, as we affirm our faith from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead, Mother, and to With the new perspective that I mentioned that these two absurd events grant us, and as you think on them this week, keep in mind Jesus' words. If you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Read those words from the new perspective we have been granted. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God's people said, Amen.